There is the statement that came yesterday morning. David Tepper just one day removed from loudly shouting an F-bomb on his way out of the locker room after the 17-10 loss to the Titans relieves Frank Reich of his duties. Effective immediately special teams coordinator Chris Tabor serves as the interim head coach. Jim Caldwell will be a special advisor to offensive coordinator Thomas Brown. I was surprised but not surprised. Last Sunday, week 11, Jay Glazer said on Fox's pregame show that Frank Reich is on the hottest seat right now in the NFL. And eight days later, he's gone. I thought he would at least wait until the end of the season. You know, we went 43 years without a coach being fired during his first year on the job. Pete McCulley of the 49ers was fired into the 1978 season, I think nine games in. And Bobby Petrino quit, walked away, left in 2007 with the Falcons, so that doesn't count. So it went 43 years before Urban Meyer, who absolutely positively deserved to be fired. He was completely unfit, out of his element, and he didn't even know it, and he should have in Jacksonville. And then last year, two for two, Nathaniel Hackett, unfit, out of his element, never should have been the head coach of the Broncos. He's gone. Now this year, Frank Reich, working for one of the most controlling and involved and meddling owners in all of sports, he doesn't even get to finish the season. Fired during a season for the second straight year by two of the owners that the good owners look at and say, man, I'm glad those guys are in the league. And that's how it goes. There are owners out there who know what they're doing, Shireen. And when they see David Tepper doing David Tepper things, they just kind of smile inwardly and say, I'm glad I'm competing against him. Yeah, 12 years, Mike, the last 12 years, we've had 12 coaches who have been fired after one year or less. And it is. It's billionaires playing fantasy football is basically what it is. And and they have no clue about what they're doing, some of these guys. And you're right. They want to keep them in the league. I think there are people who wanted to keep Dan Snyder in the league because they knew the commanders were going to be bad every single year that they had him as the owner. And they were. So, absolutely, there are owners that, that these other guys want to keep in the league just for that reason. Yeah, it's funny. Since we're in a year where Tommy DeVito, the character in Goodfellas, played by Joe Pesci, has become relevant to the NFL, that scene with Billy Batts, keep him here, keep him here, keep him here. That's what some of the owners are saying about David Tepper. Keep him here, keep him here. Yes, keep Dan Snyder here. And you're right, you're right. We're happy to have somebody else who's sitting at the table with the appropriate financial credentials, and we like the fact that this person doesn't know what they're doing and isn't willing to take a hard look at himself and understand, I need to make some changes. I mean, look, Jimmy Haslam, I don't know, is Jimmy Haslam finally figuring it out? Well, he's not firing somebody every other year, so maybe he is. But, but yeah, somebody was telling me, oh, yeah, Jimmy Haslam's finally started to figure it out. Wait a minute, he's the guy that gave Deshaun Watson that ridiculous contract. Is he the guy who's figured it out? Or is he as desperate now as he's always been? And... Haslam's a little bit different than Tepper. Tepper's completely and totally self-made in that his billions came from his efforts. Haslam was part of the family business of truck stops, and it became a multi-billion dollar conglomerate, et cetera, et cetera. But still, people who are part of a business that is ridiculously successful financially, they there's a hubris that comes into play. I watch football. I understand the game. I can figure it out. I could own a team, and I would know exactly how to give my coaching staff and my general manager and everyone in football operations the support necessary because I would say the right thing at the right time, ask the right question at the right time, and I'll be the difference. I'll be the difference. I'll supplement their abilities with my business savvy, with my brilliance developed in other areas altogether, but it's transferable, and I'm going to make it work. And I feel like he's the guy right now who is the ultimate example in a bad way of that mindset. I've made nearly $20 billion elsewhere. I've been successful at everything I've ever done. I live a charmed life. And I'm going to sprinkle some of that charm on a football team. And uh, I'm going to keep sprinkling. 
and keep sprinkling and keep sprinkling. And, uh, you know, it's like this salt shaker where they loosen the top. I'm going to dump the whole thing on it. And you, you fire Matt Rule, you fire Frank Reich, and good luck hiring someone who is viable and who has options, Shireen. Yeah, it's only one of 32 jobs, but who's going to want that job if they can choose between working for a good owner and working for an owner who's way too involved? He's going to have a hard time making a great hire this time around, unless he's willing to ridiculously overspend. Well, think about this, Mike. A year ago, we were talking about the Houston Texans as the most dysfunctional franchise in all of sports. Cal McNair had fired or ended up firing two coaches in one year, three in a row, but two of them only got one year. Now they have, they hired D'Amico Ryans. They got rid of the preacher and they got a quarterback now. And we're not talking about them as as a dysfunctional franchise. We're now talking about the Panthers as the, perhaps the most dysfunctional franchise in all of sports. I mean, and it goes back to the owner, just like a lot of these things do. He now is on his sixth head coach, counting interim coaches in six years as an owner. They're 30 and 63 since David Tepper has been the owner of the team. Only the New York Jets have a worse record than the Carolina Panthers since David Tepper became the owner of the Panthers. The other teams love this. And you're right. Who are they going to get for a head coach? Anybody who has other options is not going to Carolina. Any coordinator who is a hot commodity who doesn't get a head coaching job and has only perhaps Carolina to choose from is going to wait, maybe wait another year like Sean Payton did when the Raiders offered him a job. He says, I'm not going to the Raiders. There's no possible way I'm going to the Raiders. Turn the Raiders down, and guess what? Ended up getting the Saints, and it worked out great for him. Jason Garrett turned down the Ravens one year. Now, he should have gone to the Ravens probably, but he turned them down. So coordinators do turn down those opportunities, and I think this is one franchise that you're going to turn down if you feel like you're going to get another opportunity next year. There are two kinds of bad owners. There's the bad owner who is way too involved and and too impatient and not willing to step back and just be a fan. There's a point at an owner as an owner where you just take a step back and behave like a fan and also understand you make all the money too. That's the one thing that separates you from the fans. The rest of them pay the money, you make the money. Otherwise, act like a fan at a certain point. The other bad owner is the one who isn't directly involved, but who has someone that the owner trusts and shouldn't, like Jack Easterby, a.k.a., as you referred to him, preacher. preacher. Somebody, <laughs> somebody who tries to finagle a spot where there's power and there's influence and there's money and no accountability. And whispering to the owner and convincing the owner to do certain things and go a certain way. And to Cal McNair's credit, he snapped out of that spell that Easterby had him under. And now Cal McNair is doing what he should have done all along. Just be a glorified fan. Just just let your football people do their job and get out of the way. Your involvement is only going to make it harder. Like, you know, when you've got somebody, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of an, a good example. Like, you know, if you've got a chore that you're doing as a kid and they tell you to just go do it, you just go do it and you go do your best. But if, like, one of your parents is hovering over your back the whole time that you're doing it, it's going to make it harder. You know, if they're constantly saying, do this, do that, no, stop here, stop. At a certain point, you just got to you got to let me do this. You got to let me do this. And I feel like David Tepper won't let his people do their jobs, that he's too involved. He was way too involved in that whole quarterback selection process. And I, even though, even though no one's ever going to admit it, I firmly believe, I don't know, but I believe that Bryce Young is there because of him. And Bryce Young's another factor here too, Shereen, that makes that job potentially less attractive or it reduces the universe of people yeah. who would want it. You're going to have coaches out there. They're going to say, I'm not interested in coaching a five foot, 10 inch quarterback, or they'll act like they are. This is even worse. They'll act like they are. And then when they get there, part of the agenda will be to prove that Bryce Young isn't the guy. We need to go with my guy. Here's what I want. Let's move away from this guy. Let's go with my guy. So that's a wrinkle here that I would suspect David Tepper is completely underestimating. Reliably finding a coach 
who will happily embrace and develop Bryce Young. Well, and that's what it's going to take. It's going to take a coach who who believes in Bryce Young, probably. But I want to go back to Mike to the profanity that 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 he had, David Tepper had coming out of the locker room. Not only was it unprofessional, he knew exactly what he was doing when he came out. He knew there were reporters that were going to hear that. He knew what he was doing when he came out of the locker room. They're standing there. You can't miss them when you come out of the locker room. So he knew exactly what he was doing. He said it for a reason. One word, expletive. He said it for a reason, Mike. So, you know, I, I just I just don't know who wants to work with Deb, David Tepper. It's going to take somebody who will be willing to obviously work with David Tepler, who is meddling in it and has to know that. And it's a different kind of meddling than Jerry Jones does as the general manager of the team. And it's going to take, as you said, someone who is going to work with Bryce Young because he is going to be your quarterback next year. For at least two years, Bryce Young is going to be your quarterback. Now, maybe he's going to be a great quarterback. You know, we're, a lot of us, me included, have kind of rushed to judgment on Bryce Young because of what C.J. Stroud has done. Bryce Young may end up being a really good quarterback. I don't think he's ever going to be as good as C.J. Stroud is, but he may end up being a really good quarterback you can win with. I don't think we know that yet, but it is going to take somebody who wants to work with a, a five foot ten quarterback and there are coaches out there who aren't willing to do that they don't think you can win with a five foot ten quarterback and see this is part of the risk that you assume when you make the trade from nine to one you cut the line in front of the other teams that you know are thinking quarterback in the top five you know there's going to be a run on quarterbacks you know your guy is going to have to compare favorably to whoever's taken by the Texans and whoever's taken by the Colts or whoever else ended up in the top five taking a quarterback. That's part of the extra pressure on the player. I just don't think these owners, and and I think others too in football operations, don't appreciate the extra burden that you put on this kid that is just trying to find his way in the NFL because you know he's going to feel that extra obligation to justify everything that was given up to go get him. I mean, look, the Bears may end up gift-wrapped with the first overall pick in the draft this year because of this desire to yeah. go get Bryce Young. And it's 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 just a problem that the Panthers are going to be dealing with for years. And it may be a situation where David Tepper has to write a gigantic check to get someone to want that job. Or go outside the box and hire somebody who otherwise isn't going to have an opportunity to be an NFL head coach like a Greg Olson who kind of threw his hat into the ring. And I guess it makes sense. He's about to get bumped out of the Fox number one booth by Tom Brady, which is kind of a bad situation all around for Fox and for Greg Olson. So Greg Olson would be interested. And, hey, we saw Jeff Saturday come out of nowhere to be the interim coach of the Colts last year. Not that it worked. We haven't seen – many outside-the-box permanent hires. And I want to go back to last – like, th- this is a point I haven't seen made yet in the last day, and maybe it's just because I missed it. What happened with Frank Reich? It just underscores the fact that they should have given Steve Wilkes a year. Look at what Steve Wilkes did with that team last year after Matt Rule was fired. He had those guys playing hard for him. They rallied around him. Give him a year. Give me If you're not going to give the next guy – a full year. Why not give Steve Wilkes one year? Why not delay all this by a year? Why'd you have to fire or at least not hire Steve Wilkes and go with a guy that you fire in less than a year? It just makes it look even more foolish that David Tepper wasn't willing to ride the momentum that Steve Wilkes was able to build last season, Shireen. Yeah, you do get that bump, uh, initial bump, and the Raiders got it initially with Antonio Pierce, and now it looks like they're not getting that bump. So maybe that's all it was, but I'm with you, and I thought the same thing when I was sitting here looking at the coaches that they've had under David Tepper. Wilkes has been your best guy. You fin- ended up finishing 7-10 and 10 last year, which is the most wins that you've had since 2017 when you went 11-5 and in the last time you made the playoffs. So 100%, I'm with you. Steve Wilkes should have gotten an opportunity to continue as the head coach if you weren't going to keep Frank Reich for more than half a, a little more than half a season. It just doesn't make any sense. But 
this is what these guys do. They they pay off coaches, and you look at how much they're now paying off coaches in Carolina, and it's a it's a ton of it's almost as much as Texas A and M. I think they're paying off seventy oh. million dollars now in these two coaches. They got lucky though with Rule because Rule landed in Nebraska, yeah. and Rule may be making as much or close to it as what he was going to make for Carolina. That was a gift for David Tepper that Nebraska gave Matt Rule a landing spot. So that that's and again, hey, it doesn't matter. They're printing money. They don't care. This guy's a, uh, he's, wor- he's worth close to $20 billion, and you can just sit back. You have to try to not make money as an NFL owner. That's the duality of this. On one hand, from a business standpoint, you're kicking ass. You don't even have to try. The, the national TV money, you could have an empty stadium and still have plenty of profit every year because of the national TV money. But it's the football side where they get caught up, where ego gets involved. Who's got the biggest yacht, right? Who's doing the most? When they all hang out together, who's the king of the room? Who's the one who's able to strut around with the brand-new Super Bowl ring or you know the, the budding dynasty like a Clark Hunt or Robert Kraft with everything he's accomplished in his time as owner of the Patriots? Who's that person? And you mentioned Jerry Jones earlier. I got a ton of respect for Jerry Jones as it relates to his willingness to put the title on his name. They're all meddling to some degree. And a lot of them are doing a good job of covering their tracks. Even the ones that you don't think meddle, meddle. Jerry Jones is like, hey, I'm the general manager of the team. Of course I'm meddling. It's, I'm the general manager of the team. And I don't know that an owner would get away with that today. You'd be shouted down immediately by social media and talk radio and TV and us and everywhere else. 1989, there wasn't enough noise. There weren't enough avenues out there for people to say, what the hell is this guy thinking making himself the GM of the team? And the game's really advanced since then with free agency. Being the GM just used to be, you're drafting. (laughs) Who are you drafting? Who are you drafting? That's it. Now it's so much more complicated than that with the salary cap. It's another reason why an owner wouldn't get away with it. But I respect the fact that he puts his name on it. And it's him. And he's not hiding behind anybody else. And firing somebody else for not doing better with the bad decision that the owner made. Well, and Jerry Jones does have a football background. He did play college football, won a national championship at Arkansas. So he does have the football background as well. And, and he knows 60s. what I think in, in the 60s, in the 60s, how great. And he's done a better job, Mike, of, of listening to his people. Will McClay is so good at what he does, the de facto general manager of the Cowboys. And he listens to Will McClay. And so I think that's really helped Jerry. But there was a point there when he didn't listen to anybody. There was a point when he would have probably drafted Johnny Manziel and and would have given up more to get Paxton Lynch and all those things that that didn't happen for one reason or another. A couple different reasons those things didn't happen. But I do think he listens more to people around him, which is important for an owner. I don't know that David Tepper does that. I don't know that he listens to the people around him and gets sound advice. I think he's one of those guys, as you said at the beginning, I'm a businessman. I know how to make money. I I can manipulate people. I can ask the right questions, and we're going to get it done this way because I know what I'm doing in the business world. That translates to football. Guess what? It doesn't always translate to football. I know we need to take a break, but I do have one more item of curiosity that we haven't explored. The news right out of the gates was Frank Reich fired. Then later in the day, quarterbacks coach Josh McCown and running backs coach Deuce yeah. Staley also fired. And I can't help but wonder, is this a purging of the folks who weren't fully on board with Bryce Young? Is this just we got to get these guys out of here that want you know that wanted C.J. Stroud if if they did and again they're never going to admit it and especially these buyouts these buyouts get jeopardized if people start chirping about what's really going on I don't know that there's going to be some Sunday splash report about how Reich and McCown and Staley all wanted Stroud because they need to keep their mouths shut to get their buyouts but it that was my first thought that this is. Anyone here who isn't fully and completely on board with Bryce Young, we need them to be gone. We need them to not be here. And moving forward, we can only have people in this building who are 100% committed to the quarterback that we have and are never mentioning how well the guy we didn't draft is doing. 
It's interesting, Mike, because both of those guys have interviewed for head coaching jobs, and we know the the flack that the Texans got for Josh McCallan for two consecutive years of, of interviewing him. But now suddenly they're in this purge that's going on in Carolina. So it is interesting, and maybe that's the case that those guys were in on wanted C.J. Stroud, and now they're with Bryce Young, and we haven't seen his development quite as quickly as we have with C.J. Stroud. So um, it's going to be interesting what both of those guys' futures are now, Mike. Frank Reich gave an interview to the Charlotte Observer yesterday and said this is probably the final chapter of my NFL journey, and he's accomplished a lot. He won a Super Bowl with the Eagles as offensive yeah. coordinator, Ended up getting that Colts head coaching job after Josh McDaniels left Jim Irsay at the altar. Frank Reich's done well for himself, but two straight years, two not-so-great owners, and Frank Reich's NFL journey is over, and Panthers fans can only wish that David Tepper's NFL journey was over because they're stuck with him. You can't fire the owner, and I feel bad for Panthers fans. I feel bad for the fans of any team where the owner is the problem or a big part of it, and there isn't a damn thing you can do about it. There's no recall vote. There's no board of directors that can oust him. It's one of the arguments I've made in the past that if all these teams were corporations, maybe that would be good because when you get a bad CEO, you can do something about it if you've got a board of directors and a publicly traded corporation. David Tepper, he's not, he's not leaving. And Panthers fans' only alternative is – to find a different team to root for. Let's take a break. We'll look at where some of the potential playoff contenders are with a confidence meter next on this Tuesday edition of PFT Live. On DraftKings Sportsbook this season, new customers can bet $5 and pocket $150 in bonus bets instantly, plus all customers can get a no-sweat same-game parlay Every day, download the app and use the promo code PFT Live when you sign up. DraftKings Sportsbook, the crown is yours. And let's look at how the DraftKings Sportsbook odds have shifted after Week 12 for playoff spots in the AFC, specifically the chances of making it before versus after. Big hit to the Buffalo Bills after losing in overtime that heartbreaker, that classic regular season matchup, 37-34. Bills go down. They head into their bye 6-6. Six and six. They go from plus 160 to plus 475 to make it. The Texans, they're down a little bit after losing to the Jaguars. But look at the Broncos and the Colts. Very much alive, and their odds are getting better as they keep winning games, Shereen. Yeah, those odds have changed. They're going to change again this week, Mike, I would think, after we see what happens. But the Broncos are the obviously the team that's made – the biggest jump in this thing, and a five-game winning streak will do that for you, and they've been very good. Sean Payton's been very good. Now in that Coach of the Year conversation with D'Amico Ryans. Well, that's right, and uh, one of those guys is going to be a prime contender. There's going to be somebody out there who makes the playoffs. When we looked at the beginning, there's no way they had a chance to make the playoffs, yeah. and that is going to be the favorite for the Coach of the Year. And right now you got to look at D'Amico Ryans. We agreed. It was a consensus. We weren't the only ones. Texans have no chance, no chance, no chance. And now they have a pretty good chance to make it to the postseason. All right, let's do a confidence meter for some of these contenders. And let's begin with the Buffalo Bills. They looked good, very good against the Jets week 11. They looked good against the Eagles. They outplayed the Eagles. They just couldn't get it done. They've been better on offense since Ken Dorsey. So scale of one to 10, what is your confidence that the team that is currently the 10th seed in the AFC will climb the ladder with upcoming games against Chiefs, Cowboys, Chargers, Patriots, and Dolphins? Here's the problem for the Bills. They're 3-5 and five in the conference. So that is not going to bode well for them. They are in the fight for that 7th seed. I'm going to say a 4, and that's because they're going to have to pull two upsets. I think they beat the Chargers. I think they beat the Patriots. Can they beat the Chiefs or the Cowboys? Maybe the Dolphins in Week 18 have something wrapped up. I don't think they will. I think the Dolphins are going to still be in that for seeding purposes, are going to still be competing there. So I think they're going to have something to play for. But maybe they're not. And if, they, if the Dolphins aren't, maybe they have a chance to get to nine wins. I think nine wins will do it. But at least one of those, Mike, is going to have to be an upset. So a four. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And – 
And, and we don't know about week 18, obviously, and that's one of the great mysteries every year. Who's going to be playing? Who's not? Who's going to treat week 18 as maybe a buy that they otherwise aren't going to earn for the playoffs? But the Dolphins, they got three losses. Ravens have three losses. Chiefs have three losses. Jaguars have three losses. One of those teams most likely is going to be the number one seed in the AFC, and the Dolphins need it badly. They need to finish strong to try to force any playoff games to come to them. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm it for the Bills. I'm even going to go under the four. I'm going to go 3.5 for the Bills. I, I oh. think they're not going to make it. I think they're not going to make it, and there's going to be some major changes in that organization after the season ends. All right, what is your confidence level that Baltimore, currently the one seed by a half game at 9-3 and three because they haven't had their bye week, I think they have it this weekend. What is your confidence they can hold on to that top spot? I like them, Mike. I think they're playing as well as any team's playing in the AFC. So I'm going to make that a seven. Just, you know, when you look at their schedule and everything else, seventh in offense, second in defense. I, I just, if unless Lamar Jackson does what he do, has done the last two years, which has missed the end of the season, I think this is a team that's going to hold on to that top spot. They just need to keep Lamar Jackson healthy for the last four or five games. He missed five, the last five regular season games last year, four the year before. But they keep him healthy, Mike. I really like their chances to hold on to that one seed and have a chance to go to the Super Bowl. But, you know, this is like the AFC's version of the 49ers. Stay healthy and you'll be fine. But yeah. wait a minute. There's a problem but, staying healthy. And if you're a Ravens fan, how are you not staring at the ceiling while you're trying to fall asleep, worrying about all the things that could go wrong for your team if Lamar Jackson has another December injury? And the way he plays, and you look at all the other quarterbacks, it's like, oh, it's crazy to think a quarterback's going to get injured. Really? Look around. Who hasn't gotten injured this year? So, you know, Lamar Jackson was fortunate that that ankle injury week 11, the Thursday night game against the Bengals, wasn't worse then it looked like it could be. Uh, but, yeah, they have to keep them healthy. They have to keep them healthy. And if they do, they could be the one seed. I'll go right now because of the Chiefs. I just think the Chiefs are going to be the one seed. So my confidence in the Ravens hanging on is is it's got to be under five. I'll go 4.5 uh, because wow. I think the Chiefs at the end of the day are going are gonna, to they're, they're gonna end up doing it again because when everyone gets tighter, they don't. And they've kind of gone through their challenges. They've gone through their fires, and they welcome that. And I think they're going to be better as the season goes on, and they're going to hit their peak at the right time. All right, what's your level of confidence that the Seahawks can hang on to a wild card spot in the NFC? Somehow they're still the sixth seed after losing two in a row, and they've got murderers row still unfolding. They've got Cowboys, 49ers, and Eagles for the next three games. Well, they are 5-3 and three in the NFC against the NFC team, so I think that helps them. Nine, to me, is the max that the Seahawks are going to get to, and they're going to, I think, struggle to get to nine. The Rams are really rolling. I like the Rams' chances better than the Seahawks' chances. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with a four on the Seahawks. But somebody's got to get those six and seven seeds, Mike. That's the thing. Like, when you look at those teams, we looked at the picture earlier. Like, who's it going to be? But that schedule, I, I don't know how many more games they can win out of that. So I'm going to say a four, but maybe they get in. I don't know who else besides the Rams I think is going to get in. But I, I, I do think the Rams are going to make a little run here. They've been swept by the Rams. That is the thing that's going to potentially kill the Seahawks. In these next three games, I'm going to pick them to lose each one of them. They're going to be 6-8 and eight if it plays out the way I think it will. Yeah. I'm going one. I have no confidence they're going to make the playoffs. I don't care that they're the sixth seed now. They, they have emptied their tank, and now they're running on fumes, and they're not going to make it to the end of the line for a playoff berth. Uh, and, you, and it makes me wonder – what that means for Geno Smith, because even though it was trumpeted as a three-year, $100 million-plus contract, it's a one-year deal, $28 million, and they can move on after this year. And if they don't make the playoffs, maybe they will. We move on after the break. Let me see what's next. The trash talk between the Eagles and the 49ers has already commenced in advance of their Week 13 showdown. We'll get you up to speed with that when PFT Live continues right after this. 
guys got the 49ers next. I know you just got done fighting, but you know they did a lot of talking in the, in the off season about what happened in the NFC Championship game last year. How much of that has stayed in the back of your mind ahead of the next week? You know, as this season been going on, not much. Talk is cheap. You know, they get to come back in the link. It was a lot of boo-hoos last year, a lot of crying, a lot of what if, a lot of this, a lot of that. They get a chance to come back in here, line that up and prove it again. I couldn't really hear that. I apologize. Not in advance, but after the fact. It was Hassan Reddick at first on WIP talking about this rematch with the 49ers, rematch of the NFC Championship game from last year. And Debo Samuel, who called James Bradbury trash, the Eagles cornerback. Uh, Debo Samuel has no regrets about that. And look, this is a game where talk doesn't matter. They can say whatever they want. This is going to be a classic. This is going to be... Watch, it's going to be as boring as last night's game. This is going to be a great game because these are the two best teams in football right now. Spoiler alert, when the PFT Power Rankings are released right after the show, we'll discuss them on tomorrow's PFT Live. It's going to be Eagles 1, 49ers 2. And if the 49ers are healthy, they're the best team in football. And I could see a repeat of what we just saw on Sunday. The 49ers outplay the Eagles, and the Eagles find a way to win. With this one extra caveat, the Eagles may not have anything left after what they had to do on Sunday. And the 49ers had extra rest. But still, this is going to be a great game, and I have a feeling it's just round one before whatever we see in the NFC Championship. Boy, the 49ers sure like to talk, don't they, Mike? I mean, you think about that Cowboys game with the Kittle T-shirt, with the expletive about Dallas, and then Debo Samuel came out after that game and said, they don't want to see us again in the playoffs. It might even be worse than it was uh, on Sunday. So they they like talking this trash talk for a team that has yet to win the NFC. So they better go on the field and back this up because they've talked and talked and talked all season. So they have played as one of the best teams in the NFL so far, aside from that three-game skid they had when they had all those injuries. But now it's time to go and back that up to show that you're better than the Eagles, to show that you're the best team in the NFC, to have a chance to have the number one seed in the NFC and get the Eagles at home in the postseason. And as unrealistic as that looks right now, think about this, Mike. If they win, if the if 49ers win this week, the Eagles come to Arlington next week to play for first place in the NFC East. So all of a sudden, the Eagles could have a two-game losing streak and be tied with the Cowboys down the home stretch for the NFC East lead as well as they've played this entire year. Yeah, it really would be something if the Eagles end up being the five seed. But uh, right now they're 10-1, and one and they have the best record, and they keep finding ways to win. But this is what the Cowboys have been hoping for, the Bills beating them. The 49ers beating them, opening the door for the Cowboys to try to take things over as they are peaking. And, and I really do wonder how much, how much the Eagles will have left after that overtime win over the Bills, yeah. hard fought, in the rain, in the cold, turn it around and do it again the next Sunday. The only benefit is they're home. They don't have to go to San Francisco oh. for this one. But still, the 49ers, extra time to get ready and extra salty after what happened in the NFC Championship, but at the same time, don't empty the tank now. You have to you have to hold a little something back because the way things are playing out, it looks like there's going to be a rematch. I know the Cowboys, the Lions, other teams may have something to say about that, but it looks like this is just Chapter 1 of what's going to happen again in the postseason. At least it feels that way. Here is Nick Sirianni, the head coach at the Eagles, regarding a very real concern about the fact that it's taking his team some time to get it going week in and week out. I'm not hitting a panic button by any means. You know, our, I think uh, we've been pretty good on our first drive. We've been pretty good um, starting in, in general, but um, obviously these last two games. But I, I get it. You're judged off your, your last two games, not the whole body of work sometimes. And so we'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll uh, make sure we're, we're working hard to, to, as coaches to put the guys in positions to succeed, the not just scripting. I think I think a lot of times um, what happens because you ask scripting, and so that's gonna say that's gonna mean play calls and all that stuff. Like 
it's design of plays too, right? And so when a play doesn't work, um, and we put it on ourselves as coaches, it's not it's not just about the play call, it's about the design of the play. Jalen Hurts was 4 for 11 for 33 yards, an interception and a lost fumble in the first half against the Bills. DeAndre Swift only had a couple of carries. I mean, it is about establishing something, getting into a rhythm, showing that you can get things done, and then building on that as the game goes on. You don't want to be like the Vikings were last night where it just feels like you're constantly just trying to establish and show and do anything. But the Eagles have proven they can overcome the slow starts. doesn't matter how you start. All that matters, and the, the Eagles are the best example of this, all that matters is how many points you have when the game ends, how many points they have. Everything else is just details. Everything else is fodder for people who want to do advanced analysis of trends, et cetera, et cetera. Points scored versus points allowed. That's all that matters in the Eagles. I still can't believe they lost to the Jets. I, I can't explain it six weeks after the fact, but still the best record in football and uh, yeah, they get a chance to, hey, if they would beat the 49ers this weekend, um, any remaining doubters are going to have to shut up for good. Yeah, I would say kudos to that defense for keeping them in games in the first half. They gave up, they've given up 17 first-half points in those four games. They trailed 17-10 to the Commanders, 17-14 to the Cowboys, 17-7 to the Chiefs, and 17-7 to the Bills. So kudos to the defense for keeping them there. 17 points is not, with that offense, it, it is, they can come back and they have in the second half and they and they've rebounded and kudos to brian johnson i don't think we've talked enough about him but making some halftime adjustments that that really have provided the boost uh for the eagles in the second half and they've done that on both sides of the ball they've made those halftime adjustments and and that's a huge thing in football that we probably don't talk enough about but this has become a second half team i know they want to do it in the first half too and they need to get better at that because it come may come back to bite you at some point but they've been so good in the second half mike of these last four games at rebounding figuring out what they need to do in the second half at halftime making those adjustments and come back and playing winning football in the second half jalen hurts when he's trailing 10 touchdowns, no interceptions, 118 passer rating. He has four game-winning drives in those last four games. So it just done an outstanding job. And you're right. I think if they beat the 49ers this week, we're going to have to – any naysayers are going to have to stop talking about it. They'll, they'll still have – even if they go in, come here, and lose to the Cowboys, they'll still have a one-game lead on the Cowboys and will have played the toughest part of their schedule. And that rematch is coming week 14, Sunday Night Football on NBC and Peacock. But, you know, as much as anyone would like to have an easy path to the Super Bowl, it's hard enough to get there. If you have an easy path, you take it. There, there's something to be said for being in real fights and learning how to win games that you yeah. feel like you're going to lose and learning how to replicate in the Super Bowl what you did to get there. And I think that was one of the failings for the Eagles last year. It was too easy to get there. They found themselves in a fight late, and they, they, they weren't true to themselves. It was a new experience. And we know if you're ever going to be tight, if you're ever going to be nervous, if you're ever going to be anxious and rattled, it's in those moments. And I think the Eagles got rattled last year, and the Chiefs, who had been in plenty of fights to get to where they were, they love that. They embrace that. They want those moments. And I think the Eagles this year are learning how to thrive in those moments. And that will serve them well if they get back. It may keep them from getting back. Because they may have this great regular season and, and lose on some fluke thing in the playoffs. But if they get back to the Super Bowl, they're going to be better suited to win it because they will be more battle-hardened by some of these games where it looked like they had no chance and they still pulled it off. All right, when we return, is Dak Prescott a serious contender for the league MVP award? He addressed that talk, and we will react to it when PFT Live continues right after this. Dak, names in the MVP conversation. Does that mean anything to you at this point? Uh, no, I mean, it means I'm playing well. Simple as that. Um, not really. I'm about one goal, and it's a big team goal. And I know if my name's in there, that means we're playing well. So that's that, that's great. Um, but at the end of the day, we're just trying to build. I mean, being eight years into this thing, uh, it's about building and building and making sure we're getting better and better each and every week and getting hot right when we need to be. 
Dak Prescott on his chances to be the league MVP, and he gets it. A great player on a bad team isn't in the MVP consideration unless he's doing something historic. It's the best players on the best teams when the dust settles. And every year we go through this. Every year people get caught up in who are the MVP candidates. Well, we don't know who they are. You know why we don't know who they are? Because we don't know who the best teams are going to be until we know who the one seeds are. That's where it starts. One seed in each conference, the best player, the player most responsible for delivering that one seed, which is so important now because there's only one playoff by per conference. There's going to be an AFC team, NFC team, and once we know who, that's when the the MVP finalists become apparent, Shereen. Yeah, and obviously the Cowboys are going to have to win the division for him to have a chance to win MVP because if they don't, it's Jalen. You can't pick Dak Prescott over Jalen Hurts, especially the way Jalen Hurts has played lately. Past five games, Dak's put himself in that conversation. Uh, 1,600 yards, 17 touchdowns, two interceptions, almost a 125 passer rating. They've won four of the last five, but – you know, they haven't beaten a team with the winning record and the ironic or whatever the word is we want to use here, Mike. We always get confused by that word. But the, the part of this is if they beat Seattle, they still won't have beaten a team with a winning record because the Seahawks will have been will be six and six if the Cowboys beat them on Thursday night. So he's going to have to do some things down this stretch to, to win a lot of games and get some help from some other teams, possibly the 49ers, to have a chance to win the division And if they do, he's going to have a chance to win the MVP award because the Cowboys will have won enough games to have won the division, and Dak will have played well enough. He didn't play well enough last year with those 15 interceptions. He's playing well enough this year. There were a few weeks where it looked like A.J. Brown, the Eagles receiver, would take votes away from Jalen Hurts when the dust settles on the season. But Brown's numbers have fallen off to the point where if the Eagles are the one seed, Hertz is their MVP candidate. If the Cowboys are the one seed or win the division, Dak Prescott is the MVP candidate. If the 49ers end up with the one seed, I don't know. Is it Christian McCaffrey? Is yeah. it Brock Purdy? I don't know. It's going to be tougher, and you may have people voting for both. And remember, this is the second year of putting down five names, ranking them one through five. And that's where I keep coming back to this possibility of C.J. Stroud winning it, not because he gets the most number one votes, but because he gets all of the number two votes. Because I think he's going to be second on a ton of ballots if they make the playoffs. And there could be a plurality of first-place votes, and he gets a few, but then the second-place votes come into play. And Stroud could end up stealing this thing without the Texans even winning the division, Shereen. We saw that last year. Was it the Garrett Wilson Award, I think, where Ken Walker may have gotten more first-place votes and Garrett Wilson uh, actually won Offensive Rookie of the Year? I think that was the one that it happened in. So we certainly could see that. We've seen it before. That was the first year that we've gone to this listing of – in that case, it was the listing of three. In this case, the MVP, you list five on your ballot. Now, it used to just be you put one name down and the guy with the most votes won the award, but now it's changed, and so now we could see that, Mike, something we've never seen before. And we had seen a tie at least once, if not twice, right? Steve McNair and Peyton Manning one year, Brett Favre and Barry Sanders Sanders. another. Tie's never going to happen now when you got five. And I think the points are five, four, three, two, and one. I think that's – maybe you get even more for a first-place vote. I don't know, but – Yeah, it's ten. I think it's ten, five, three, two, one maybe. But it's definitely ten and five, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But – but the bottom line is this. When we get to the end of the regular season and we know the number one seeds, if it's the Ravens, it's Lamar Jackson. If it's the Eagles, yeah. it's Jalen Hurts. If it's the Chiefs, it's Patrick Mahomes. If it's the Browns, it's Miles Garrett, especially if he doesn't miss any time with his shoulder injury and it looks like he's not going to. So that's it's fun to talk about it, and people bet on it, and it's all based on the outcome of voting. It's just a strange thing to bet on, but – you're betting on who the one seed is going to be as much as anything if you're betting on MVP candidates yeah. now. All right, let's take a break. Which teams are hitting their stride heading into December? We know the Vikings aren't. We'll draft the teams that are when PFT Live continues right after this. In this winning streak, um, 
To what extent do you think you've established as a team a strong identity, and how would you describe that identity? Yeah, I, I think first of all, we're resilient. You know, I think the best part about us is we've been resilient for all these games. We've played some really great teams, you know, some, you know, top echelon teams, you know, obviously in the AFC, Kansas City, you know, obviously, uh, you know, Buffalo on the road, which is a tough environment. And then, uh, you know, obviously Cleveland's been, you know, great all year against a great defense and everything else. I, I think the best thing about us, though, is it's about us. It's about us being together. Russell Wilson, let's ride indeed. After giving up 70 points in week three, being left for dead. You know, I said this yesterday, Shereen, even though Sean Payton took a lot of criticism for the things he said to Jarrett Bell back in late July, and for good reason, because he said some things that he probably shouldn't have said, even though I do believe he thought he wasn't on the record, and he was. Everything he said's working out. <laughs> Everything he said's coming to fruition. Yeah. Tough coaching for Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson's a lot better. Oh, Nathaniel Hackett's not a very good coach. Oh, he was right about that, too. I'll be pissed if we don't make it to the playoffs. Well, it looks like they're going to. So it took a while, but the Broncos are really pointed in the right direction. Well, and they're going to be my first pick because I, I don't know, you know, how you look at teams going into December, and they're the hottest team to me in football after that 70-20 to 20 loss in, in week uh, whatever it was, six, that they started one and five. My, we were talking about Vance Joseph probably, possibly getting fired at the trade deadline. We're talking about they're going to be sellers. They're going to sell all these players. And now you look, they're two games back of the Chiefs. And I think it tells you that coaching does matter. And I think Sean Payton's figured out Russell Wilson and, and how to use him and how to play on offense. And they're much, much better on offense than they were earlier in the year. And they're certainly better on defense. And kudos to Vance Joseph for turning that thing around the way he has. Quarterbacks have a 71.7 passer rating against the Broncos over the last five games. And that includes Mahomes and Allen. So this defense has really, however they did it, and of course missing Justin Simmons was a huge part of that start for them. But getting him back and doing what they're doing now, they're the, to me, they're the hottest team in the NFL right now, and I do think they're going to make the postseason. And the draft is indeed teams riding good vibes into December, and the Broncos absolutely at the top of that list. It was week three when they gave up 70, and there was, at some point, I vaguely recall somebody suggesting Vance Joseph was going to get fired, and I don't think it was a reporter. You know, there, there are plenty of people they asked who are Peyton on about the air. It. Yeah, but 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 the, the the point is somebody said, I'm hearing he's going to get fired. And when it's not a reporter, it's one of those safe harbors where you can say, well, I'm not reporting it. I'm just yeah. hearing it. And But that was out there. It was in play that Joseph was potentially going to be fired. And obviously, he was once the head coach of that team. But they've turned it around. Everything's good now for the Denver Broncos. I'm going to go with a team that lost this past weekend, but I still feel very good about where they're going, the Houston Texans, the team that we had all written off before the season even began. They're in position to get a playoff berth in the AFC. And it may be as simple as those contenders at the bottom with the best quarterbacks, the Texans with Stroud, the Broncos with Russell Wilson, and the Bills with Josh Allen. Maybe that's how it all plays out. I don't know. But I'm not picking against the Texans at this point. I think they're going to keep riding the momentum. And they play the Broncos this weekend. Very, very interesting matchup in the AFC playoff chase. Shireen, Shireen may have lost. I lost you for a we minute. Have Shireen, I did we lose have you. me. All right, let's move on to round two. Shireen just thought I had nothing more to say. Shireen, <laughs> you're <laughs> yeah, round two. The team giving out great vibes heading into December. How do you pick against the Eagles? I mean, you got to have the Eagles on this list because they're just finding ways to win despite being down at halftime, as we talk about. Somehow, some way, they find a way to win. And, and you're right, it's inexplicable and unexplainable how they lost to the Jets 2014 because they could be doing something historic right now with the way they've played. But they did lose that game to the Jets. They got some tough games coming up. Um, but when you look at their overall body of work already, Mike, beat the Cowboys, killed the Dolphins, beat the Chiefs, beat the Bills. They've just gotten it done against the best teams that they've played on their schedule. And, and now they've got three more big games against San Francisco, Dallas, and Seattle. And then they close out with the Giants, Cardinals, and the Giants. 
So they're going to be able to possibly coast at the end and rest some players in addition to that week off that they could could get if they close out these next three games. So they they've they've just played remarkably well all season long. We are going to see, as you said, Mike, what they have left in the tank after that Bills game. But, boy, they're playing awfully well right now. So if I'm going to take the Texans after they lost, I have to take the team that beat the Texans (laughs) because the Jaguars, look, even though they were completely dismantled by the 49ers a few weeks ago, Sims and I have talked about this. I think they learned something in that loss. They learned what it's going to take to go next level. Last year, it was a loss to the Broncos in London that helped wake up the Jaguars and specifically Trevor Lawrence. I think this loss to the 49ers woke up the Jaguars. They beat the Titans handily. They go to Houston and get a little revenge against the Texans for the 20-point loss that the Texans handed to them back in week three. So the Jaguars still have very real hope of being the number one seed. They got a showdown with the Ravens coming up. They still have the Browns on the schedule, but they could end up with that one seed in the AFC. And not, not that not that it's an overwhelming home field advantage, although I think it would be if they're hosting playoff games, avoiding having to go to Baltimore, Kansas City, Miami, that would be huge for the Jaguars. Let's take a break. We'll do one more round of the draft of the teams giving off the best vibes as we head into December when PFT Live continues right after this. All right, one more round. Teams riding good vibes into the month of December. Shereen, who you got? I'm going to go with the Ravens. Won six of their last seven. They killed the Seahawks, the Lions, and the Texans this season. The biggest thing for me with the Ravens, though, Mike, is they have the late bye. They're off this week. I think that's really going to help them down the stretch. Then they come back with the Rams, Jaguars, 49ers, Dolphins, and Steelers. This, to me, is the best chance the Ravens have had in a really long time to contend for a Super Bowl, truly contend. They stay healthy. Again, I think they get that number one seed. I started with the Texans and then went with a team that beat them in the Jaguars. So now I'm going to go with the team that beat the Jaguars a couple of weeks ago in the 49ers. The 49ers, as long as their key players are healthy, are the best team in football and could ride it all the way to their first Super Bowl championship since 1994. That's it for us. See you Wednesday.